0: Hey, this is Tim McCurdy, and welcome to Vine Pears Cocktail College, a weekly deep dive into classic cocktails that goes beyond the recipe with America's best bartenders. It's not often that I bounce into the studio having recently tried a universally known cocktail in the bar of its creation, even less so when that bar happens to be on a tropical island. But by pure chance, that's the case today as we cover old ground and reopen our textbooks on the chapter titled Pina Colada. Now, people often describe the holy trinity of tropical drink ingredients as being rum, lime and sugar, but with an irresistible mix of rum, pineapple and coconut, the Pina Colada enters the chat and challenges that title. Such is its appeal and renown, The Pina Colada has been the national drink of Puerto Rico since 1978, with not one but two bars claiming ownership of it. Today, we'll dissect those stories and discuss whether cocktails served at the bars of their supposed creation ever live up to the hype. And we'll explore the sheer versatility of the Pina Colada and what makes it the pizza of cocktails with returning guest and friend of the show, Joey Smith. You may recall Joey from our Dilution Techniques episode. And you may also recall that the bar director of New York's Zoo is something of a colada fanatic, devoting both his Instagram handle to the drink and his feed to spirited reviews of piña coladas. We're going loco for Coco Lopez, listener. Not down in Acapulco, but on the shores of Puerto Rico as we shake our way into another edition of the Cocktail College podcast. It's a sunny if cold Monday morning here as we record in the Cocktail College studio and we are thrilled to be joined once again by Joey Smith. Joey, first cocktail for you here today but second appearance
1: on Cocktail College. That's right. I'm back. I'm back again. And we teased it. I know. In the earlier episode, that's what you do. You got to set them up, get them anxious for it, and then you come back, and, you and know, then you come you back. deliver. Yeah.
0: And I think it's been over just a little over a year, but maybe about you know fifty episodes have gone by since then. So long overdue return. Long overdue. Especially, this is the first time. Sorry, the second time that we are re exploring a cocktail, not based upon a riff or not based upon a different technique. We're just going at it again. Sure, It's the piña colada. It's very timely for a number of different reasons. But first of all, we're doing this because you're a man who documents, who goes out exploring, looking for piña coladas and documents that I believe your Instagram handle is also colada related. It's a lot of coladas,
1: yes. I made a rule that if there's a a piña colada listed on a menu... I have to order one and review it and like and try it out and let me tell you like with the popularity of piña coladas coming back in such a crazy way it's it's become more of a chore. <laughs> <laughs> but I still do it and I still love it and so yeah.
0: Looking back as you say, how smart a choice does that seem now because I want to get your take on on what the inspiration or what you know, why the piña
1: colada but it is a drink that so often gets made badly. I guess so. It's kind of To me, it's kind of like pizza. You know, like bad pizza is still okay. You know, it's serviceable. I think that the real, you know, trigger for me wanting to do this was it, you could go to like a, a sticky floor dive bar and get a great pina colada. And maybe it's, you know, artificial tasting and has that sunscreen flavor, but something about it is still hits that nostalgia button and it, it still has like, you know, Decent amount of alcohol in it and they can do fun floats and things and then you would go to some of the, like the best bars in the world and They you know call it a pina colada But they've just like pushed and pulled and prodded and changed it in such a way that it just doesn't hit me With as much joy as that original like crappy drink. hmm So I decided you know, I'm gonna go around and I'm gonna actually try them all and I'm gonna say, you know Maybe not fully honestly, but I'm gonna give a little bit of an opinion on like why you know, a frozen daiquiri shack on Miami beach can make a great drink and the number, whatever bar in the world, you know, kind of missed the mark.
0: Yeah, I think that's a great point. And, 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 you know, kind of like the Negronian, that's going to sound like sacrilege for some people. But like you said, you can basically get a solid version of this ever, right? Like it's hard to
1: make a really bad pina colada. You need to put a lot of effort into fucking up the pina colada. (laughs) Yeah, well, and the thing about it, that's really unique to cocktails within the world of cocktails is that the the flavor is just it's pineapple and coconut. That's really the only requirement for a bartender to tell you this is a riff on a pina colada. It's just got to have pineapple in it. It's got to have coconut in it and you can change the shape. You can do all sorts of stuff with it and because of that and because you can make it without alcohol and it still has its identity. I think that for me and a lot of people who I've talked to it, it's. Tied to your childhood, it's like it's it's like a treat, you know. There's that nostalgia. That goes way further back than almost any other cocktail flavor that you can have. So because it hits you, you probably had your first one when you were very very young. Um, it's just very very special, and it can get changed so much. Um, the only thing I can think to compare it to is like a Reese's peanut butter cup. It's just chocolate and peanut butter. They didn't invent either of those things, (laughs) but now whenever you have that combination and whether it's cake or cereal or a chapstick or something, you're like, that's Reese's. Mm -hmm. And that's the, the amazing branding of this, of this flavor combination that you don't really get with any other cocktail that I can think of. And it's interesting that you mentioned there,
0: too, you know, non-alcoholic-wise, because uh, as I understand it, you know, looking at the Oxford uh, Companion, as we do often here, the piña colada originally, that, that that name in Spanish means what? Uh, strained pineapple. Strained
1: pineapple, yeah.
0: And it was a combination of pineapple and coconut from Cuba originally, I believe, as they say it there.
1: That's what, I think the the first writing, like, that mentions it was, you know, 1950s, 1950s, and, and they mentioned it into the, as part of Cuba, but it's also like, you know, Dave Wundrich says, the problem with the history of alcohol is it was written by drunks, so who who really knows? Like, I find it hard to believe that anyone can claim to have be, been the first person to make this combination. Like, exactly. If you're in a place that has pineapples and coconuts and rum, like, it doesn't take a rocket science to be like, you know what? I should <laughs> mix all this together. Like, it's just going <laughs> to exactly. happen. So I'm sure it predates even that writing, and it goes way, way further back.
0: Also, as you mentioned, if you're in a place that has pineapple and coconut, chances are there's rum nearby. (laughs) Chances are there's rum. Right? So that's like the natural option to go for. And then it's like a daiquiri, right? Rum, lime, sugar. It's the the holy trinity. It just works together.
1: Yeah. Gin and tonic. Like, that's what they had on the boat. That's what they made. (laughs) Of course, naturally. It doesn't really need inventing. It's just, it's so simple. And I said I mentioned
0: earlier that this is somewhat timely because um, this is my first day back in the in the studio in the office after spending two weeks in Puerto Rico, mm-hmm. which of course is okay. Maybe that non-alcoholic mixture is, is more tied to Cuba, but Puerto Rico is tied to this cocktail. It's the national drink of Puerto Rico, I believe, as of 1978. There's two contenders there competing for the title of the inventor. Um, I'm going to share some of my experiences in a second, but can you tell us a little bit about that? And also like, which theory do you subscribe
1: to? I think the famous one is the Carib, right? The hotel. Mm-hmm. They were the early, they were published in, it was, sorry, it was like 1953, I think. Um, bartender named Manchito won a contest and they claimed to have invented it. And I haven't been, but I've seen photos on the internet of like this whole museum, like wall, like kind of thing. And. Um, they were recognized by the government as kind of a celebration of, hey, you guys did it. (laughs) Um, So I think that they're, whether they're the, like I said, I don't think anyone really invented this thing, but they're definitely marketed it the best. Yeah. And that I can't remember the name of the other place, but it's a smaller restaurant.
0: Yeah, Uh, it's in Old San Juan. It's called Baracina. Baracina, right. Um, And that would have been Ramon Portamingot, an Argentine who perfectly, or supposedly invented it in 1968. Um, I didn't make it out there to that one, but I did make it to the Caribe Hilton. What did you think? I'm going to be honest here. (laughs) Good. It started mediocre, Mm -hmm. and by the end of the drink, it was just terrible. Oh, no. Or Not terrible, because as we mentioned, like, pina coladas, it's really hard to make it that bad. Right. But it wasn't a satisfying experience, and I was glad that, like, I, I don't know, I was somewhat expecting that. And a, and, a, and I want to go into this now because I think it's so interesting that there are drinks tied to certain bars, historic ones, right? Not ones that are a proprietary creation of a bar that's since become like a modern classic. But sure. like, you know, this is where the Sazerac was invented. This is where the Vucare is invented, the Singapore Sling, right? There are places that claim to be the the, the birthplace more often than not they're not the best version of the drink. Yeah. Has that been your experience?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, and I think it's it's bigger than that. It's like a whole a city can make their identity a certain type of food, but because they think they've got it like on lock, like this is what we do, they actually start slacking a little bit. Like, um, what's the example? Like Cuban sandwiches in Miami, and I'm sure there's people in Miami they are going to be mad that I would say this, but like I've had a hard time finding like a really great Cuban sandwich around miami but you can go to like connecticut and find like a great one like pretty quickly which by like googling it and i think it's just you have to try a little harder when you're not when the expectation is lower that was that was exactly what was going through my mind when i was at that
0: bar and i was sat there um that you kind of people are already going to come for it and it's a shame that therefore your standards can slip or maybe you're not you know using the highest end product that you can. I think there's a number there's some very average or worse rums in Puerto Rico. Sure. There's also a handful of ones that I think are really good. They definitely weren't using that for the <laughs> the, the Pinnacle at the Caribe Hilton. Sure. And also it got me thinking too about like so that space if I can kind of describe it here for anyone who's not been or hasn't seen it online like the lobby bar is in this really you, modern space that i think will attract to certain people who who like to vacation like to have everything there in one space right like it's a it's a resort right and it and the caribe hilton's kind of stands in this place that's like halfway toward the old town old san juan and then halfway toward where the rest of the hotels are in this neighborhood called condado so it kind of like stands on its own has its private beach and it's very modern and and i was sat there drinking it thinking geographically Maybe there is a case to be made to say that in the bar that stood here, this is where the pina colada was invented. But that bar looked very different. This guy's not been working there. I think he was there for 35 years, Ramon Marrero, Manchito, as you said. Um, but that was in the 50s, so he hasn't been working there for at least 40 years. You know what I mean? So right. it's like, even if it is the place, that place now looks nothing the same. And it's just... I don't know whether it's a shame. It I suppose it is a little bit it's of a shame, isn't it? It's a bit of a shame. It? Yeah. It's a
1: bit of a shame. Yeah. And, like, again, your expectations are so high. If you're going to make the claim and, like, put it on your wall and continue to sell the drink, like, just do it as best you can, you would, you would think. Mm-hmm. You
0: would think. I mean, I followed it up with a martini, and I got to say, all right, I was, you know, giving my spec, <laughs> or not my spec, but, you know, I asked for it, you know, stirred, dry, with a twist. The martini was a lot better than the pina colada <laughs> was, so I don't know. Oh, man. But... What we are here to do today is to talk once again and to explore once again how to perfect this cocktail. And as someone who is devoted to the drink, Mm -hmm. I'm very keen on your take, starting with what you're
1: looking for from a perfectly executed version of this drink. Sure. Well, as a person who makes drinks, I try to keep my personal tastes like at bay. Like I want to try different versions of things. I want to appreciate different things for what they are, and I've had a lot of different things that qualify as pina coladas that I'd say are all good, but they're done very differently. Different rums, different base spirits, different coconut, all that can be different. Um, What I'm really looking for is, and also, I should say, like my rating system is completely indiscernible like it's all i just pick emojis and i put them in there so this is not a numbered thing not, this is even not close. a scale it's really more of a mood <laughs> that i'm trying to set <laughs> with the rating system so you know um i'm really looking for like an overall experience and i i try not to i really don't put it in too many of the reviews but i also include like the bartender and the setting and the music that's playing and you know what happened that day and like i try and kind of weave everything around the experience into the review as well. So, like, what I'm really looking for is that it's good flavor, it's good texture, I think especially for frozen ones, you can get some that are too icy. I like interesting blends of spirit and uh, really just the, the the experience around it, like what's going on that mm-hmm. day that allowed me to finally have a pina colada, like that's what I'm really going for <laughs> It's, I mean,
0: speak about music. We did a bit of a deeper dive into it in the previous uh, exploration of the pina coladas, but I just want to say again, "Escape," all, all time, maybe mm-hmm. a top ten song for me of all time is. Uh, <laughs> it's it, it's a, it's a baffling one when you start to dissect the lyrics, but it's a, it's a great tune.
1: Yes, a hundred percent. I totally get it. <laughs> I was just in Miami actually last week, and I I had so many pina coladas, and every one of them was great. And I didn't think it was necessarily because the drinks themselves were great; it's because I was in Miami with my friends and like having a great time. That's and the I most bet, important thing.
0: Totally. And I bet, you know, in your kind of pursuit there, I bet Miami's a tough city to go to because I bet a lot of the bars have them on the menu and then it's, it's like, I'm
1: having another pina colada right now. It's rough. Yeah. <laughs> my friends always look at me and they're like, there's one on the menu. Are you doing it? I'm like, I guess, yeah. What if there's a pina colada flight on the menu? Oh, goodness gracious. I, I hope nobody does
0: that. <laughs> I think there might be one at the Caribe, but I'm not sure. Oh, I, wow. I, I believe there might be, but uh, I mean, if if anyone were going to do it, we could do it at Shazoo. We have, I think, three <laughs> on the menu right now, so you could do it. Well, here's another thing that I wanted to bring up too before we sort of get into techniques and ingredients, which is like, and and you might kill me for this. I'm not sure whether this is something you regularly have done, but you have the you know your standard pina colada mm-hmm. there at Shazoo, and one thing that I've just always, I think the first time I visited. You served me the, the, the miniature pina colada yeah. upon arrival as as a nice welcome drink. And ever since then, whenever I've come back, I've been like, can I get one of those mini ones just to kick it off? It's, it's just such a nice
1: way to, an unexpected way to kick off a drinking experience. Yeah. Well, it's like I said, it's. You know, it's that escape. You get it right away. You're immediately relaxed. You're on a beach somewhere, right? You you're come into Shea Zoo. Who knows where you came from? The city is a stressful place, to say the least. So when you come into a bar and you get that immediate little sip of vacation, mm-hmm. well, it's not to be relaxed about, you know? I love that. We call them piña colittles. Um, so that's the code word. If people are pina listening, galittle, and one, one, yeah. I'll serve you one. Yeah. Amazing.
0: And... Um... You know, I was also just to jump back to Puerto Rico for a second here that the reason I was out there was uh, I was getting married and I had looked into into recreating that for the arrival drinks for guests. The frozen machine was going to (laughs) cost a little bit too much money for just a little small pina colada upon
1: arrival. Sure. Um, But I'd hoped to do that. Yeah. But uh, it is the best way to just kick off an experience. Yeah. I actually just got engaged this summer and we're definitely going to have tiny pina coladas. <laughs> <laughs> well, That'll be our number one expense, I'm sure. You as well. You as well. Thank
0: you, thank you. Um, I was also during that experience having that bad pina colada. I was I was sat next to us having a drink with friend of the show Brian Miller, who's something of a, a, a rum enthusiast himself. Certainly, his take on why it didn't quite land was that they'd used a blender rather than a frozen machine. Sure. Should we get into the mechanics of that now? Even before we get into ingredients, should we get into that? Like, what's your take? Because I believe you you guys have the, the frozen drinks machine as we well. Have,
1: we have a frozen drink machine. We have a bun uh, frozen drink machine. And it gets the job done. But there are problems with it as well. It's plastic hopper. Allows it for if it's warm outside or if it's not in a ventilated area where it can exhaust properly, uh, it's hard to get that drink to completely freeze up. Depending on how full you fill it, The amount of drink that's in contact with the chilling element is not as high, like the ratio is not as high as some other machines that I've seen. So I actually went to, uh, when I was in New Orleans, I did a, for Tales, I did a pop-up with Mr. Black, and they were doing, it was a frozen drink pop-up, and um, it was outside in New Orleans in July, and I was like guys, how much, how many people are going to be there? And they're like, oh, like over a hundred. And I was like, you want me to be able to pull a hundred frozen drinks out of this machine in the July heat outside? And they're like, it'll be fine. And I go down there and this machine absolutely crushed it. It was unbelievable. I poured my drink in within like one minute. It was frozen. It was perfect. It was the best version of my own drink that I'd ever tried. So the equipment is extremely, extremely important. I think that, like I said, you want the most amount of drink in contact with the, the chilling element so they make you know there's different ones like frosty factories and things like that that have a really small chamber to allow most of the drink to be in contact with the thing but then you have like a hopper on top they're great they probably do the best quality drinks but you do need to like clean them out at the end of service to make sure that that stuff that's in the hopper isn't just sitting out overnight got it which can be annoying but Worth it if you really want the mm-hmm. best best version, the best pina colada in New York. This is breaking news. I haven't posted this review yet, but I will probably before this podcast comes out. Um, is Long Island Bar? They do an amazing pina colada, and it I you know of course the ingredients are great and the service the way it's served is great and the bar is great, but I'm pretty sure they're using like a soft serve machine, like an ice cream machine, not mm-hmm. a frozen drink machine. And like they need to serve this thing with a spoon, but it is so, it's so good. It is so
0: good. I was gonna, I, I was wondering whether that's what you were gonna say. Yeah. And it's a fantastic pina colada. Yeah. The hack as well. You can always ask uh, bartender Phil Ward or Toby if he's there, Toby Cicchini, go for a Miami Vice, go 50 50 with their frozen Cosmo and in in the, in the pina colada there. But it is exceptional. I can't remember the name of the machine, but I know it's something that Toby is quite obsessive about, yes. whatever machine they're using for frozen drinks. Well,
1: good for them. I'm, I don't even want to compete. I'm just like, I love that bar. I, I get over there so rarely, but like um, Keith, who, the bartender, kept telling me, he's like, you got to come try the peanut You got to try it. And I was like, okay, okay. And I tried. I'm like, this is the best one. He goes, I know. <laughs> I was like, damn, the confidence. Yeah. yeah. But it's it's truly great, and it's all it's about the equipment. I, I totally, I don't think I've ever had a really great one that was done in a blender. Mm-hmm. You can't get the the texture, the consistency right. You need it to freeze together like ice cream. Yeah.
0: So if I'm making this at home, or if I'm running a bar that doesn't have the space, or the money, or the drinks program to have a really fancy, you know, frozen drinks machine or self sure. serve machine, where are you going there? Are you going blender? And we'll talk about that as a how you can hone that technique. Or are you maybe just going,
1: you know, ingredients shaken then served over ice? I, I like shaken over ice. I like a crushed ice pina colada just fine. Um, the blender can work too. There's, there's some techniques that I've seen that um, interest me that I, I've experimented with. Over the pandemic, I was making pina coladas and I didn't have, you know, a frozen drink machine. Um, one thing that we did was we tried freezing pineapple chunks and then using that in the drink, so that when you're blending it, when you blend things, you, you add a little bit of heat and it, it kind of prevents it from freezing in the way that you want. So we were trying to get all the ingredients cold when they went in and hopefully that made for a better consistency. It was good, but there's always going to be those like pineapple chunks, which weren't exactly pleasant. So um, then we tried freezing pineapple juice into cubes and blending with that and that actually worked Really, really well. You kind of don't sacrifice a lot of dilution by adding more ice. It stays very cold. Um, it froths up nice because it's still pineapple juice. Um, so that's an inter- That's a good technique, I think, for using a blender. Mm-hmm. But you know, at a, at Chezou and and other bars, I've had plenty of delicious piña coladas that are just on crushed ice. Mm-hmm. I think that that's a totally reasonable <laughs> serve. I mean, we're drinking one now. We're, we are we drinking, it, and it's delicious. And cheers, this is by the way. A, on a large rock. Yeah, cheers. <laughs> and this
0: is on a large rock. It's absolutely fantastic. It's mm-hmm. made slightly differently in terms of the base spirit. We might get into that when we we talk about recipes in a little bit. Sure. Um, I think one final note there on you know frozen and blending or whatnot versus non. To your point about pineapple juice, right? Like you need to up the sweetness when you're serving frozen cocktails, right? So yes. obviously pineapple juice is going to be a better candidate than fresh pineapple that's been frozen. right? But yeah, that's just something else to add into the equation, right? Like even if you have your spec dialed down, not frozen, it might suck when you blend it with ice.
1: Yeah, that's true. That's absolutely true. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's a naturally fairly sweet drink. I and mean, you're right, when you freeze things, you do need to up the sweetness to kind of push it to the next level, but I mean, we'll talk about the ingredients, I'm sure, but like coconut is kind of where I I like to sweeten things up. Mm. The pineapple, yeah, I don't know. I, the pineapple for me is like, I, we actually have started using canned pineapple juice because it's less acidic. Um, it's muted a little bit, and when you're freezing something, the acidity can get amplified where the sweetness can get killed a little bit, so we wanted something that's a little less... Like a
0: like a dole, maybe?
1: We'll, yeah. we'll, we'll get into that. Yeah, exactly. But let's, you know, speaking of ingredients,
0: let's dive in. Let's go with base spirits number number one, and I've just put spirits down here because, um, if I recall correctly, I think in the version of this that we did with Ivy, she went for rum and cachaça, which you can argue is you know type of rum, but definitely a very different profile to something like a Puerto Rican rum. Sure. You have multiple variations of it, so... I'm handing the bat on over to you
1: here. Considerations when when going with spirits. Maybe starting with rum. Rum. Okay, well, I'm going to talk about from the context of my frozen pina colada. That, to me, is my classic. It's my signature one. We started with a white rum, and we were doing that for a little bit, and then we switched to a slightly aged rum. So right now we're using uh, Bacardi Ocho uh, as the base. Um, and then we accent that with um, coujon black strap. And... It's because I think I want this pina glada. There's, there's like those ones that you get in the swim-up bar that's just bright white with the neon cherry, and I think that's like the classic, and I love those. They're great. Um, I wanted ours to skew a little darker, a little more toasty, a little more like unctuous, just to have a little bit more depth, I guess, of flavor. And so that's why we're going with a little bit of age on the rum and then the blackstrap, like molasses, kind of really, really weights things down a little bit. So like a little seasoning almost there. Yeah, exactly. Um, I've had plenty. I had one last night at Paradise Lost, which is a brand new bar. It opened like three days ago. Um, And they're using, you know, heavy-handed Jamaican rum, I think, in there, which I've had a plenty that have that in it. And that's great if you love Jamaican rum. Um, There's nothing wrong with that. Mm-hmm. I've had... Kind of maybe need to, to, to
0: inform the guests on that one, though, as yeah. well, especially if people aren't really, like into main, you know, aren't cocktail nerds and you like let people know this
1: is made with a slightly different rum. Like, yeah, rum is a very diverse category and it's usually uh, not always, but usually, um, regional, like different regions based on their histories have produced rum in different ways. Uh, Jamaican rum uses a system similar to like sour mash whiskey or sourdough bread where they recycle the end of the distillate. So after they've distilled rum, they take what was like kind of left and they throw it in with the newly fermenting batches and they, they're kind of always backsplashing things and it creates, uh, opportunities for fermentation to produce even more flavors, what we call like secondary or tertiary, um, flavors. And it, it, it's really funky. It tastes really funky. Um, they, I believe the, the term is Hogo is, is what the flavor is. But, um, if you've ever had like Appleton or, um, Ray and nephew, Smith and Cross. These rums all have this like common flavor, and it's uh, it's just identifiable as as a Jamaican mm-hmm. quality. But it can be really intense. It can be very. It can intense. be very intense like and it can earthy, funky. Yeah, earthy, funky. If you overdo it, which with rums like Ray and nephew, it's pretty easy to overdo <laughs> it. Um, it can be one of those things where you come back to it later and you're like, oh, I can't, mm-hmm. I can't do that. But um, I like it. I think it's it's fine. It can be intense, but. Um, that pina colada at Paradise Lost was was fantastic. Mm-hmm.
0: Interesting to see you're taking the kind of uh, classic, you know, uh, tropical drinks or tiki approach there, where you're like, look, we're, we're we're looking to create our own profile using different different styles of rum. What one can't do, three can, or you know, sure. the classic approach there. What if we were to instead dive into a different spirit style altogether? What, where would your thinking go and what do you think is a good match for for coconut and
1: pineapple? So the one we're drinking now uses Arak, which is um, made – this one is made in Lebanon and it's kind of an anise-flavored anise spirit similar to ouzo or even absinthe. Um, I love this combination. I think that the anise and the coconut play really, really nicely together. Um One of the more, I don't know if it's necessarily popular, I'm trying to think of other examples, but uh, one of my favorite affinities also is a coconut and coffee. Um, So playing with spirits that have that kind of coffee-esque, or playing with spirits that kind of would also fit that bill um, work really nicely. So I've had, you know, cognac in pina coladas, that was really great, and they kind of, Tied it all together by the addition of a little bit of um, coffee. It was really, really
0: nice. That sounds incredible.
1: Yeah. But, I mean, you can kind of use almost anything. The, the the Like I said, the coconut and the pineapple is really the only requirement, and you can kind of steer it in a lot of different directions. But, um, like I said, you know, cachaça is like a good cousin of rum. Cognac's a good one. I've had them with uh, Fernet and Amaro's that are really, really nice. Oh, wow. Yeah. You can go a lot of different ways.
0: <laughs> that I think that speaks... Again, to your original point, that like just pineapple and coconut being this incredible combination, it's so robust. Mm-hmm. It'll basically support anything. Like you're you're mentioning um, Iraq for this, then I'm like, oh, what would an aqua v. pina colada taste yeah, like? Definitely, we could try that. Then we could try that. That could get a bit. Maybe the only one you don't want to use really is kind of vodka
1: because it's basically <laughs> just kind of pointless. Yeah, there's a name for it too, isn't there? There's a vodka pina colada a chichi or something is that what that is <laughs> yeah it's a new one to me it's a new one uh there's also the champagne piña colada a champagne colada created by the legendary chris moore mm-hmm. if you ever get a chance to try one of those mm-hmm. who knew it could be and that then good. i guess
0: the other the other variation as well that we have covered on this uh eric castro's piña verde
1: mm-hmm.
0: green chartreuse obviously uh, a little bit harder to come
1: across these days sure Sure, I Incredible know. Incredible drink. I've been stashing it for a while. I'm, I'm not running out. <laughs> Did you predict the chartreuse shortage? Yeah, maybe.
0: <laughs> maybe a little. Did you, or, or has your stocking up played into that? Uh, yes, definitely. definitely. Interesting. Another one there, just, you know, that we're just going wild here, but chartreuse vegetal, I'm not sure if you tried that. And yeah. that is a nice little seasoning for this, I think could be, yeah. a little could go a long way on this. Yes.
1: Yeah, that's a good idea. We have some of that. At the bar. I'm going to try that tonight. It's been <laughs> fun. Yeah.
0: Um. All right, then pineapple. Talk us maybe a little bit more about your approach at the bar versus, you know, you mentioned what you were doing at home during the pandemic. But how are you guys approaching this? Again, for your, let's say, let's start with your, you know, your classic, your emblematic
1: pina colada you have there. Pineapple, look, I think that fresh is probably better. I think you can get better flavor out of it. But pineapples are inconsistent. They change regionally, they change on the season, like there's there's, there's so much variation in a fresh one. Um, At the bar, like I said, when we're doing our frozen one, we want to downplay the acidity and up the sweetness a little bit. We want it to come across sweet, um, which will change when things freeze. So we use a canned pineapple juice. I believe we are using Dole. It's uh, consistent, it's the same sweetness all the time. We can control it. If we need acidity, we can throw in a little bit of lime juice. Um, and it works great. I think for the purposes of a bar, it works totally fine. But I will say, I do love a pina colada when you, if you use a blender or if you're using like the the milkshake style blenders, um, if you're using fresh pineapple juice, you can get like a really nice, like that cream of coconut emulsion froth from the fresh pineapple juice. Um, and that's really fun too. So Mm -hmm. there's, there's arguments to be made for both. I think it's about context. If you're doing it at home and you have access to a juicer that can give you fresh pineapple juice. I mean, the no brainer, go for it. Yeah.
0: And then I guess, yeah, like you said, it's inconsistent, but maybe you can juice that pineapple juice and maybe adjust the sweetness to taste. Sure. Maybe aim for that dull profile, which is sweet. I have a sweet tooth when it comes to drinks. So I I love it, you know, personally as an ingredient, but yeah, maybe people can uh, customize there on
1: that front. Sure. Yeah,
0: absolutely. And then coconut. So I believe, again, looking into the history of this, one of the reasons that this drink became popular nationally was because of the availability and surge in popularity of Coco Lopez.
1: I can't believe, how far are we in? We're like a half hour in. And we haven't mentioned we haven't Coco, Lopes, yet. Coco Lopez We
0: haven't even said Coco
1: Lopez. Damn, that's great. Yeah, Coco Lopez is, um, is an icon <laughs> of pina coladas. I think some people will tell you that it can't be a pina colada without it. I don't know if that's necessarily true. But um, it's a it's got a great distinct flavor. It's got a cute little bird mascot, which is great. <laughs> um, we use uh, we use Coco Lopez in our pina colada, but I think that we wanted, like I said, to make this a little bit more unctuous and deeper. And I also feel that Coco Lopez tastes like coconut, like. Sort of, <laughs> like it's not like it doesn't. It's hard to draw the line between like a fresh coconut and what the flavor of Coco Lopez is. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to make sure we incorporated some of that real coconut flavor. So we use unsweetened coconut flakes, we toast them to kind of bring out their flavors. We simmer them in coconut milk, and then we add sugar and Coco Lopez to that. So you get kind of this range, this kind of spectrum of coconut flavor from the sunscreen, you know, Malibu. Coconut, whatever that is, to <laughs> like an actual toasted coconut. Oh wow! Almost nutty quality, and that's kind of what I was going for. I want, I want this drink to bring you back to that swim-up bar, but also let you know you're drinking something higher, mm. high quality, and like real ingredients. Take you into the future, almost. Yeah, sure. <laughs> Why not? Are you still getting like the small
0: Coco Lopez cans? or Are you able to get larger ones now? No, I know we,
1: we got small ones. Yeah. See.
0: That was one thing I will say about the the Caribe. I did notice on the side of the bar, they had one of those tins. What would that be? Like a 28-ounce tin, sure. the, the 28, like a much larger <laughs> one. And and again, sat there with Brian. He was like, man, I wish we had that when, we, when I was making pina coladas at the Polynesian because we had to open them one by one, those tiny cans. And that would have made my life a lot easier. Yeah.
1: I didn't know they made them that big. That's great. I Maybe look it's into that. exclusive to Puerto Rico, that thing. It might be. I do hate opening the Coco Lopez can it's it's because it it like solidifies it kind of becomes this like hockey puck of whatever (laughs) and then the syrup around it and it's just always messy I've never done it clean it's an annoying job that one someone filmed me making cocktails the other day and I had to open the can on camera and I was just it it was very laughable how messy it is
0: oh that's uh yeah that's a tough one I love that though that the, your your mix that you're going there with the with the toast I mean, to- coconut flakes. By the way, this is a sidebar, but just whether you're in in the kitchen, what a great ingredient! I like to yeah finish a curry with that as a little uh, garnish on there. It's phenomenal.
1: It's a great smell too. When we're making the coconut syrup, like the whole kitchen is like vibing on that. I love it.
0: Oh I would I, I got to get myself down there one time when you're making a batch cuz sure. I, I got to smell that it sounds amazing Sure sure you can make it I don't I don't want to make it anymore you can do it <laughs> <laughs> I'll come in I'll, I'll do a shift Yeah why not Um any other ingredients I have down here any any other ways in which you know depending on you know which version of this you have on the menu but is there anything else where you're like hey this is an ingredient that more often than not if you add this it's going to improve your piña colada without Taking you too far from the the essence of what the drink should be.
1: Yeah, I think um, I'll say salt, saline or salt is a nice addition to pina coladas. Um, I guess depending on how you're preparing it. Right, I know like I think La Factoria uses salt and they like a little bit in theirs, um, and that's very nice. I think that if you're going to do this as a bartender and you're going to add flavors or like or like mull it around, I, I I'll say it again, coffee and coconut is like a very amazing combination um i just had one at sweet liberty that was really really great down there in miami yeah and then uh, the last thing i'll talk about is like garnish and glassware and like how you serve it my favorite way to get it is in a hurricane glass i don't know why i think that's probably the first one i ever had was in a hurricane glass and that's why that's true to me but like you know serving it in a whole coconut is super fun serving it in a coco lopez can is super fun like my friends (laughs) at jungle and boulder do that and i think they're getting creative with how you're serving it is uh, important to it as well so mm-hmm. don't forget that ingredient and don't forget to play that song escape escape you got to um
0: so glad that they did change i believe the original lyrics we've spoken about this before i speak it's this is kind of the the one thing that i tell people at parties you know what i mean you know the one fact you have the original line in that song was going to be Humphrey Bogart rather than Pina Colada, which I don't even know how it works for the cadence. But <laughs> the world is better off that he ended up going with. We'd the be Pina Col- sitting here
1: talking about Humphrey Bogart <laughs> instead of Pina Coladas today. I'm glad that they chose Pina Coladas. Glad they changed it.
0: <laughs> One final ingredient you did touch upon it, but I wanted to ask about. As I assumed, maybe it might have become more of a common thing in in you know higher end cocktail bars or whatnot or people. Pi- focus drinks programs, which would be citrus. Citrus, yeah. Do you think that, that that lime, it's purely depending on your approach to coconut and pineapple, like whether or not you're bringing in a citrus element, to, a different citrus element, of course.
1: Yeah, I think, you know, bars have different palettes, and you can tell by drinking their drinks, like, oh, these these are all a little sweet or these are all super dry. I think that that's really up to the bar to decide. Um, so I do skew, my palate does skew a little sweet, I would say, um, and I do add a little bit of lime juice to pretty much all my colada variations because I do like to try and balance myself for making things too sweet. But um, yeah, lime juice is uh, definitely allowed, if not you know required. Um, one other thing is cream. I th- I've heard some debate about putting dairy in piña coladas. Mm-hmm. I think it can make it great. I think that the original, one of the original recipes in Puerto Rico uses cream in theirs. However, in today's day and age with a lot of dairy free, um, preferences, I think a lot more so than maybe you know, 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, it can be a little tricky if you're doing a big batched drink and you want to put some cream in it. You might be excluding some people, but yeah. it can be delicious. I'm glad you brought
0: that up as well. I do believe as well, you know, sat there having that colada. I believe that was Brian Miller's comment too. Is like, I don't think they're using any cream in this. And I think that that's what he did for his spec. I don't want to quote him on that. But yeah. certainly the first time that I'd thought about it or come across that as a concept in the drink,
1: yeah, I had his when the Polynesian was around, but I don't think I was reviewing pina coladas at the time, so kind of missed the shot. Maybe I'll find a way to get one from
0: it. <laughs> yeah, that definitely we got to we got to try his. But um, all right, why don't you talk us through now the preparation of the? Let's go with your classic, or which actually, which colada would you like to choose for for today's when we're examining recipes and build
1: recipes and build? I mean, let's do the the avocado colada, the the frozen one. Perfect. To me, that's like the classic one. Um. Yeah, let me hold on. I can get the recipe. If we want to be exact, I will share this recipe. It's uh, up to you whether you want to share it. I guess I can. Or you can go with a, a simplified version. I want to spread pina coladas to the world. I need to share this recipe. And um, just
0: while you're looking at this, I want to just say that we shouldn't feel embarrassed to enjoy sweet drinks, right? right? <laughs> you know what right. I mean? Like there is that pursuit of balance that I think has taken drinks that sometimes have to be or should be sweet right into a different place because we're always trying to find that like bite point that perfect balance and the
1: fact of the matter is that some drinks are just supposed to be sweet some drinks are supposed to be sweet yeah no i agree i agree i I think there is a line (laughs) i'll say (laughs) say, i i had a pina colada we were on the streets the other day we were walking we were at a friend's wedding and we were um walking and uh Someone went into a bodega, and they came out with a frozen pina colada. They're like, I got you this. And I was like, why did you get me this? (laughs) They're like, well, I saw they had pina coladas. Who knew a bodega could have a pina colada? And they tried it, and it was so sickly sweet. I couldn't have three sips. I can't imagine a human could drink that. It was pure syrup. (laughs) That's the line, bodega pina coladas. Watch the bodega ones. (laughs) Um, Okay, so we use... Let's see here, 625 mLs of the Crujan black strap, that's the smallest amount, uh, 640 mLs of lime juice, 1200 mLs of water, uh, 1875 mLs of Bacardi Ocho, 2500 mLs of our house coconut syrup. Maybe I won't give that recipe. No, that back, one but stays. I kind of talked how to make it, you can probably figure it out. People can reverse yeah, engineer exactly. that one. exactly. And then uh, 3200 mLs of pineapple juice. So we do add a little water to kind of, you know, we don't want it to be too too intense. Um, we put that in the frozen machine every day. Uh, we garnish ours with uh, a rock soaked raisins. Um, just a nice little, hey, how are you? On mm-hmm. the top and, and that's the drink. And how many cocktails roughly will that yield? Oh, man. Uh, it depends if we're serving the full size or the teeny peenies. <laughs> As we call them as well. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I actually, I honestly, have no idea. <laughs> we we do a lot of the small ones, so it's it's tough it's to kind of add time. them up. But yeah, mm-hmm. how, how many there are?
0: Well, that's the thing. You probably a drink that you're unless you're going with the shaken served over ice approach. You should
1: never be making just one of anyway. Right. Yeah, I agree. Well, this is. I'm I'm just adding this up. This is a uh, almost ten thousand mL. So. <laughs> That's a, that's a good... So 10 liters. 10 liters, that's, yeah. a, that's a solid amount of drinks. That's a decent amount of
0: coladas. That's yeah. a lot of coladas. That's a lot of coladas. And with that, <laughs> <laughs> um, coming back to the drink though, any final thoughts on the pina colada before we
1: uh, head into questions six through 10, given that you are a returning guest? Oh, wow. Um, no, I don't know. I don't have any final thoughts. I think we've, mm-hmm. we've done a pretty exhaustive rundown I don't know. If you listen to Ivy's episode and then you listen to this one, then you'll know everything, <laughs> everything about pina you have coladas. To. Yeah, we we've definitely done it all together. Well, I'm going to keep drinking them though. So
0: keep drinking them, and also go out there, give Joey a follow. Check out his pina colada reviews there on Instagram. Yeah, is uh, do you have a a number in mind where you one day might stop, or you're like you're in this now? You're committed. I think I'm in it,
1: and until pina colada innovation ends, I will keep drinking them. <laughs> And it's not (laughs) slowing down. They are on every menu. I I have so many backlogged that I need to Mm -hmm. review.
0: It's interesting, actually, you know, one final thought here. It is interesting that we are seeing that because on the one hand, yeah, you do have this kind of lowbrow drinks executed in a highbrow way kind of revival, Long Island iced teas and such. But then on the other hand, this does feel like a drink that went so far that I'm surprised that it's been re-embraced by the
1: industry but happy to see it happening. That's true. I agree. There's a weird thing with tiki. I think bartenders love tiki because rum is so fun and interesting and the drinks are strong and you get to put all these cool ingredients into it. But tiki as everyone like has come to realize is like, you know, has a a real problem with cultural appropriation and making, you know, the kind of stealing ideas from all over the place. And I think that bartenders are a little hesitant to fully embrace tiki in the way they once did. However, the bars that we all operate now do owe a lot to that world and how it inspired us and wh- how it makes trying drinks interesting and fun and not pretentious mm-hmm. and and an experience that can be laughed at and, and not taken so seriously. And I think the pina colada embodies that really yeah. nicely. You know, this is a drink that, like I said, it's a, Famous, simple flavor combination that we can take as, this is still fun, this is still interesting, and I can still throw, you know, green chartreuse in it if I want to <laughs> and, yeah. and, and have a good time as a bartender, so.
0: Yeah, and I think there are, you know, there are very real conversations that have been had and to be had about that as, you know, all the exterior, everything outside of the glass when it comes to tiki, but... When it comes to purely looking what's inside the glass and just drinks on their own, I'm not even talking about serving vessels. Those drinks oftentimes still hold up, and and they're often among the most imaginative creations that are out there, right? Exactly. So, yeah. Um, inside the glass, I think it's safe to say, uh, fantastic product right there. There <laughs> yeah. you go. All right, then let's do it. Let's let's follow up now with our our second set of questions to finish the show today starting with number six for you, as it is today, Joey. Um, Which spirits category are you currently most excited about from a personal or professional standpoint?
1: Oh, well, I feel like this changes every day because I get samples in and try new stuff. Um, I still love agave, but I'm going to actually say vermouth. I've seen some interesting new vermouths coming out. Um, The gentleman from uh, Little Red Door in Paris has released a bunch of amazing and, like, savory and, like, really fun vermouths. I've always liked vermouth. I like low ABV drinks, and I like more options when it comes to mixing them. So um, I'm excited to see, hopefully, people kind of catching on and stocking maybe a couple more vermouths. Mm -hmm. Also, shout-out Bar Americano, because they have an amazing vermouth collection, and it's a great bar. Nice.
0: And and, and nice, you know, that if we're talking you know, dry vermouth for a second. Like, nice that we've seen that bartender-led gin movement. Mm-hmm. And now we have the bartender-led vermouth. I mean, it just makes sense. Just sure does. only improving our martinis. Sure, does. That's what this is all about. <laughs> that's, that's what everything is all about. Right, just better martinis. <laughs> all around. All right, next question for you. What was the last drink or cocktail you had that really wowed you?
1: Yeah, um, let's say, uh, I'm trying to remember what was in the drink. Um, I, I can give like a, a vague answer though. Um, we went to a bar in Miami called uh, Kaiju Bar Kaiju, and it's uh, kind of hidden up in this food court area. Uh, all the drinks are named after um, monsters, so there's like the Bigfoot and the Godzilla and all of that. <laughs> but like, uh, I can't even remember the name of the drink. It was the last stop of the night, so you'll have to forgive me. But I had a drink there that was truly wowed me, and it was a, it was a great cocktail. Mm-hmm. So, nice, yeah.
0: Head over, and that was out in Miami. That's in Miami, yeah. Check it out, Check folks. It out. Next question for you today. What's one book you would recommend that every
1: alcohol and cocktail enthusiast should own a copy of? I got to say Liquid Intelligence. That was the book that like set me in the direction that I went and kind of, it really breaks it down in a way, it's more like a textbook. It, it breaks it down in a more um, general way as opposed to just spitting recipes at you. Um, it kind of gives you a more insight into technology and why things work the way they do and how to... Adjust and change and it really opens it up for you to be creative and use this knowledge as opposed to just kind of copying other people's recipes mm-hmm. or substituting So I would definitely say if you haven't read that book chapter 3 on ice is 100% required reading for everyone who's worked in my bar. hmm
0: I love it And you know not to put ourselves up there with the, the the great Dave Arnold here But that's kind of what we've always been about here at cocktail college that same philosophy of mm-hmm. like rather than knowing a recipe you got to understand why the recipe works, right? Sure. And, and so like that whole approach to just a textbook, understanding why, that's how you really master things, right? And then 100%. You can, and you can go wild on the specs. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> All right, penultimate question for you. If you could appear in one movie scene where alcohol plays a prominent role, which one would it be and who would you like to play?
1: Oh, man. Um, I was thinking about this one a lot because there's a lot of good scenes. I think that the... Uh, sh- the, the bartender in me would say Tom Cruise and cocktail when he gives that big speech because bartenders like attention. That's why they, they're they bartenders. <laughs> and uh, that looked like a pretty fun gig, to say the least. However, uh, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, the best drink in existence is the Pangalactic Gargle Blaster. And uh, they say it's like, what does he say? It's like uh, having a lemon, having your brains bashed in with a lemon. <laughs> Uh, so I think I would be interested in being in that scene and being uh, the president of the universe or whatever his name is.
0: Well, I like that. I like that you have one that is truly bar focused and one that is uh,
1: out there. I want to try that drink. It there. sounds good.
0: <laughs> All right. Final question for you here today. Which modern classic cocktail do you believe is deserving of more recognition than it gets?
1: Um Modern classic, probably the right hand. I'll say, I think if that qualifies, that's fairly modern. <laughs> uh,
0: it's it's, yeah. it's a new one to me, it's so definitely qualifies. Yeah. Tell us about this drink.
1: It's a it's a so it's originally a milk and honey drink, it's a um rum negroni with uh, mole bitters, is I think the original recipe. Um, we do a version of it with um more black strap, and we use like some spicy real spicy tincture in it and i like it i think it just has a lot of depth i think the again rums can be a lot you know varied but to use a nice dark rum um with that campari and the sweet vermouth and kind of add that mole mm-hmm. quality however you want to add it, it it's a um, it's a winning combination
0: i think one of these days we need to do an episode that's kind of like ingredients that change the bar world mm. and or the modern bar world sure and you gotta put molly bitters up there, right? God. Like you know, when that comes in and then people just start experimenting, especially at bars like that, and then it, you suddenly you see an era where every drink had like either Saint Germain or Molly bitters. There's you know, there's yeah. there's a handful of other ones out there, but yeah.
1: That's a good idea for an episode. Yeah, we used to call Saint Germain bartender ketchup because every bartender was just putting in and everything. <laughs> it was so easy. And, and it's
0: impossible to hate. It's just delicious. Yeah. What's wrong with nothing <laughs> wrong with it? All right, my friend. Well, listen. Thank you so much for joining us again today. Sure. It was promised a long time ago. We have fulfilled that promise. Yes. And you've arrived in the studio with pina coladas no less. So, Joey, thank you so much for
1: joining us thank again. Thank you for having me, Tim. And if you have more questions, 10 through 16 or whatever next time. 11 through 15 11 coming through at 15. you next for
0: the, for the 3 Pete.
1: Yes, let's do it again. Cheers. Cheers.
0: Thanks for listening to the Cocktail College podcast. If you enjoy listening to the show anywhere near as much as we enjoy making it, go ahead and hit subscribe and please leave a rating or review wherever you get your podcasts, whether that's Apple, Spotify or Stitcher. And please tell your friends. Now for the credits. Cocktail College is recorded in New York City and produced by myself and Darby Seaside, who also composed our awesome theme music. Just give that a listen. I also want to give a huge shout out to everyone on the Vinepair team, especially co-founders Adam Teeter and Josh Malin, editor-in-chief Joanna Chirino, and art director Daniel Greenberg, who designed our killer logo. Finally, thank you, listener, for making it this far and for giving this whole thing a purpose. Until next time.